Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. I'm Richard Walensky. This is KPFA's Bay Area Theater podcast, featuring stage reviews, along with extended versions of interviews heard on Arts Waves on Cover to Cover. The musical Falsettos was originally produced in New York in April 1992 and ran for nearly 500 performances. The show, which is one of the earliest musicals to deal with coming out of the closet and with AIDS, was revived on Broadway in 2016, and it's the national tour of that production which is at the SHN Golden Gate Theater through April 14th. I spoke with choreographer Spencer Liff and the show's producer Jordan Roth. Spencer Liff has previously been a dancer and ensemble performer on Broadway and has choreographed the recent revivals of Spring Awakening and Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and most recently Head Over Heels. Jordan Roth is the president and majority owner of Jujamson Theaters in New York, and among his most recent productions are Bruce Springsteen on Broadway, Angels in America, and Mean Girls. Spencer Liff, how did you get involved in this edition of Falsos? I woke up to an email in my inbox that said James Lapine, as you <laughs> normally do. I thought, what in the world? I had never met him. I think all it said is, I saw your production of Spring Awakening last night. I want to talk to you. So I called him and he said, I'm thinking about doing falsettos again. Do you know it? Are you interested? I, I said that I didn't really know it. He sent me to the Lincoln Center Library where you can watch thousands of you know, archives and I watched it and I loved it and that's where we started. I met with Jordan all the way. I think I, I've known you. Um, met with the boys at Lincoln Center. Everybody gave me the approval and off we went. In, in terms of that, uh, how do you work with a director on a show that previously he kind of choreographed? Yes. Mm. He did choreograph it with Michael Starabin, who was the orchestrator. They were the original choreographers, uncredited. I think the the first thing I said was, I don't want anything to be on wheels, which was what so much of that original production was. I said, if you put anything on wheels, you'll never get past what you did. And so with David Rockwell, the incredible set designer, uh, we came up with this crazy conceit of these blocks, which was you know, a, a very interesting way of making our world, but also required the actors to build up and tear down each scene and support each other in a physical way. And there was no way that whatever we did was going to match what they had done before. So it was such a good, clean slate to start with. It's a completely different way of working than Head Over Heels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Head Over Heels was an ensemble full of kick-ass, amazing dancers, and the, and the dance got to be its own character. In a show like this, you are truly supporting you know, these actors in this story, and, and any of the movement has to be so organic to just pushing the story forward. And, and it has to be small and you know, meaningful. Every gesture has to be meaningful in something in a show like this. Are you worried at all about that, you know, you might create a dance that these guys and women couldn't do? Or, Well, when we worked with the original uh, 
our original revival company, they're all such fantastic performers. I had been on stage with a lot of them before as a dancer myself and had choreographed Andrew Reynolds and Hedwig. So I knew what they could do. But there's no step that is in this show that shouldn't be able to be done by a normal person. You know, I'm not asking them to do pirouettes and kicks. It wouldn't have a place. So, you know, it, with a little bit of practice, anyone could do these moves. When you're creating choreography in a show that is, as I said to James LaPointe, almost operatic in the fact that there's virtually no dialogue, are you thinking themes at all? Like, for instance, they were talking about how this is about Marvin becoming a man as well as the bar mitzvah of the kid. Uh, are you thinking about how AIDS falls in? I mean, is that going through your mind? Are you thinking about what the audience is supposed to feel? When you choreograph a whole show, one there has to be an there has to be an arc as well as you know as as the show has an emotional peak, so does the the physical nature of it. When I first attack a show, it's really it's number by number. You listen to it, you think, how is this number different than the next one? How can it have its own voice so that you're not just watching the same thing for two and a half hours? Um, but I tell you, with a piece like this, it all found its way very organically in the room on the actors while we worked. We were allowed to have a very long rehearsal gestation period with this show for a show that was already written. And it was essentially like going in brand new. And James would make them talk their lyrics without music before we got to any stage and they had to sit there and just say it like a monologue. And that revealed so much of what these lyrics actually meant. And then we'd get up and start to find the physicality. It was a great way of, of diving into what this text actually meant. Do you ever hit a point where you're going, I want this, and the director's going, no? <laughs> well, always. And I'll tell you what, in this situation, you don't, you don't win with James and Pine. You know, if you've got somebody who, you know, I couldn't argue that I knew this show better than him. He wrote it and knew it. And what's fun about James is he likes to be challenged. And there, was, there were certain moments, especially, you know, with, with lighting moments or design ideas where we would all, you know, we would we'd fight for what we wanted. And, and sometimes he would, he'd come to our side and sometimes he wouldn't. I think any good creative team is meant to challenge each other and push each other and not be afraid to really dig in there. One of the elements for people listening to this is that if they can't get over to the theater, they can see the PBS production, which is this show. When you're looking at that, is there any particular sequence that you go, hey, I nailed that one? I will say I've had other pieces, uh, shows filmed before, and I think they did a, a spectacular job with falsettos because they... They didn't edit out too much. They really understood that the transitions were equally as important as the numbers and they shot wide enough that you could really see everything. I will say that the ability to get really in close with some of these actors, I even saw things when I watched the film that you can't see on stage because you're too far away. But at the end of the day, that's a, it's a great thing to be able to watch this. There's nothing like experiencing it live. And the tour cast that we found is extraordinary in their own ways. I cannot believe we got so lucky twice that, the, that these characters are now in these amazing, capable hands. So you got to see it live. Getting back to my question, is there anything where you say oh, oh, specific? I, <laughs> um, I I really love our opening number. I think that the opening number is wacky. It has nothing to do with the rest of the show, but it's it's really just gets you ready for what the type of humor is in this show. Um, it's for something that is like throwing spaghetti on the walls. I, I really enjoy what we did with the opening. You're a young guy, thirty four, right? Indeed. 
Those of us who actually are a lot older and experienced firsthand the AIDS crisis, how much did you know going into a show like Falsettos? Did you know the history at that point? I have a very different had a very different childhood. I was a I was a child actor. In fact, I made my professional theater debut on this very stage in nineteen ninety two. I was the original cast of the Will Rogers Follies, which opened the national tour here, directed by Tommy Toon, starring Keith Carradine and Dee Cody. So it was the first time I was ever on a stage in my life at the Golden Gate Theater. So it's very special to be back here. But that being said, it was 1992. That show had a uh, you know an ensemble full of, of males, and I had to know what was happening because I stood in this very lobby with a red bucket collecting for Broadway Cares That Cried AIDS at a young age. So I had a different relationship with what that disease was. I watched older male dancers that I idolized get sick and die and had to have that explained to me. And and so I did grow up with that you know, in my life. I was on Broadway at 10. Again, I've always known what it was and, and how important it was to, to collect and be part of you know, the, the wonderful work that uh, Broadway Cares does. But the reason I really wanted to do this show is I think most people my age do not have that relationship. They grew up in the middle of this country where there was no sex education. There was no AIDS education. It was like abstinence is only, I mean, there was, it was such a, they were really screwed by, I think, a lot of our educational system. And they moved to New York and they don't know what it was like. And I think that it's a travesty to the generation that went through this hell and stayed strong and fought through it so that we could be where we are at now on so many levels. And this is important to sort of respect them and respect these stories. So I, I think it's so incredibly grateful that I got to be part of bringing this back to life for a younger generation. Jordan Roth, how do you pronounce the name of the theater company that you were? I always see it up and I'm kind of going to Juju what? Jujamson. It's a tough one, Jujamson. So the original founders' kids were Judith, James, and Cynthia. Jujamson, though you would think it would be Ju. Jameson, it is not. Who can explain? What year did you take over? It was, uh, I joined the company 13 years ago, and I took over nine years ago. At that point, as a gay man, were you looking at gay plays at all? Was that in the back of your mind? It was in the front, center, and back of my mind, and always has been, because the theater has always been a place for me personally to unpack and dream and fall in love and see what could be possible, also what I wanted to avoid. And I think for so many of us, the theater was the first place where we ever really saw ourselves. And that was true for me with Falsettos. I saw it on, originally on Broadway as uh, a teenager and totally changed me. You're in your early 40s now, and what was your experience with AIDS? I mean, I know your mom was involved with theater. So I grew up in New York City, and I came of age at the height of AIDS, and I never knew what sex was, what um, relationships were, what coming out was without AIDS. And, you know, I think every generation of gay people have a, a slightly different perspective, a slightly different point of view. And mine was, mine was that. It was after people were getting sick and dying every day, you know, diagnosed and 
dead weeks, months later. But it, it was right as the whole world was coming to understand what was happening. And all there was was this dire, desperate fear. And that, that is the world into which I came out. Which is a pretty scary time to come out. For me, I watched people die. I mean, I didn't see, personally see that. And I was lucky most of my friends survived and I wound up somehow negative. So I don't even know how that happened. But those of us who were lucky, and that's all it was, was luck, we survived. At this point, seeing a show like Angels in America, which you also produced on Broadway, um, which I saw out here with um, a different cast and a slightly different play, are, are you aware that the Angels that you saw was a little different from Berkeley? Yes. <laughs> he kept working on it. Well, Tony, um, I, I was with Tony just the other night, and he um, he is in a constant state of motion, and that play has... Um, I think has captivated him as much as it has captivated all of us. And it is, as he says, the world only spins forward. And so it seems so right that that play would be in a constant state of evolution. I noticed that a lot of these plays, Normal Heart, Falsettos, uh, Angels, are coming around in the past two or three years. Mm -hmm. Falsettos first. Why do you think that's about? I mean, Obviously, your own interest brought it about, but each of these seems to have resonated in a way maybe you knew, maybe you didn't. You know, I think it's always true that great productions of great pieces happen when they need to happen. And it's often true that we start them before we know exactly why. And the world catches up. The world answers the why. And that was absolutely true for falsettos and very true for angels as well. I think these are moments of resistance and these are moments where we resist with our hearts. We resist by showing and celebrating and singing our hearts. And that's what falsettos is. Well, speaking of, of that, uh, as someone who was actively part of trying to resist what's going on in Washington, and as someone who runs theaters and owns theaters, how conscious are your choices in terms of the political horrors that we're dealing with now? Very conscious. I think if the theater is worth anything, if the theater matters, it's because it is the place where we can dig into who we really are and who we could be. That's the only reason to put something on a stage. And it's times like this when that becomes ever more crucial, essential, essential for being a person, being a citizen, being a human. With the five theaters, if you've hit shows in five of them, how do you deal with new material and trying to get new material out there? So that's a, a, a blessed problem to have because, of course, every time we do a new production, we hope that it's something that resonates with audiences and that people will want to come see it forever. I'm very lucky and really happy to have that problem and have in the last several seasons to have shows that are staying because people love them and want to see them. Right. But then you've got other shows as well. So that's when I do Angels in America in somebody else's theater. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> so how many shows? How many shows do you have running on Broadway now? I have five theaters and five shows. 
What are the shows? Book of Mormon, Kinky Boots through April 7th, followed by Moulin Rouge, Mean Girls, Frozen, and as of this week, Hades Town. Hades Town, a new musical that is so gorgeous and just heartbreakingly beautiful, magnificent. How'd you manage to convince Springsteen to come to Broadway? Um, <laughs> that, well, really, that started because he had a story to tell and he knew that Broadway was the place to tell it. So um, that was an adventure that none of us will ever forget. And finally, for you, Jordan Roth, what do you see yourself doing on the horizon in terms of more shows? Well, as I said, we have Hades Town and Moulin Rouge starting soon. And I think what's always so exciting to me about the theater is that it is this blank canvas and it is intoxicating for artists, storytellers, musicians, dancers, people who tell what the world is. And that's why I'm here. And one final question. At your end, do you ever see yourself writing a play or directing? Stay tuned, my friend. Stay tuned. <laughs> And Spencer Liff, what do you see yourself doing after this? I am starting to uh, broach into the directing field myself. I start on Friday. I'm directing and choreographing a new production of Singing in the Rain in Los Angeles at La Mirada. Uh, and then I have a, a pilot I sold to NBC, which I'll be a producer on and a choreographer. It's a sort of a reality show about discovering the next triple threat Broadway stars in this in this country. That's a reality show. It's a reality show, but not a competition show. It is a, a you know an inspirational docu series and just a pilot at this stage. But those are the things that are next for me. It's all about telling inspirational stories, trying to put some positivity in this dang world.